After a long day of being pulled in every direction, the last thing anyone wants to think about is what's for dinner. That's where Schwann's can help with a variety of real food choices, frozen to lock in freshness, from ready-made meals, premium meats and side dishes, to vegetables, ice cream, and more. Schwann's foods go from freezer to table in minutes, not hours, so you can pull off a delicious meal in no time at all. Ordered, delivered, done. That's homemade easy. To help simplify mealtime, visit schwanns.com. Master Blaster runs louder. Seth Andrews runs the this experience. <laughs> Lift embargo. Bride me. weird is that I didn't actually see any of the intro graphics on the screen, so I wasn't I wasn't remotely sure when we were live. Is it set? Am I live? That's funny. What the hell's going on here? That's funny. I can't even hear anything. That has, um, that, that uh, Thunderdome clip has Mark all over it, by the yeah. way. It just has Mark all over uh, it. It has, it has the entire... Gang in the studios. Oh, is everybody back there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I'm around the best people in the world. Hey, welcome to the Atheist Experience. We are live. Uh, today is Sunday, July 7th, 2009, and I've got some jackass next to me that none of you should know, so I want to make sure I introduce him properly. Oh, crap, I already messed it up. That's all right. I love you with the love of the Lord, and I forgive you. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> considering the memes that you decided to post <laughs> in anticipation of your... Seth Andrews uh, is back. Uh one of the finest people in the movement, one of my best friends in the world, uh, agreed to fly down from Oklahoma, got delayed, still got here on time, and now we're going to do a show. Was, we're all, we were on the plane, and all of a sudden you hear this voice, and it goes, uh, we need everybody to uh, please get off the plane. We have to replace one of the wheels. And I uh, was sitting there, and I, I almost got upset, like, oh, shit. And then all of a sudden I thought, you know, that, that element seems kind of important. Like, you know, like it's worth a couple hours. And uh, yeah, we made it here. No, it's and if it had happened in the air, you wouldn't have known until you landed or it, whatever you want to call it when the wheel breaks. Whatever out. happens to me is I've got first world problems. I wouldn't get up saying, life is. Well, my plane was late. My, my plane to Austin to be on the atheist experience was delayed. Poor me. Well, we are uh, beyond thrilled that you're here. And thank you so much for doing it. And as always, every time Seth comes down, which is this is the second time that we've had you down to do this. Uh, our tiny little building is like stuffed like a can of sardines. The air conditioner it just can't quite keep up. Uh, and we like it that way. So welcome to Texas. I uh, feel the aura of heathenry coming out of the audience section in there. I just feel it's I great. Feel there, it. There's some fans going and some hats and everybody is still smiling. So yeah, no, it's, it's an honor to be back. I appreciate the invite. And uh, what I think what you were referring to is to help promote the event, I thought, well, I can just say, I'm going to be on the Atheist's Experience. 
or I can do something kind of funny. So I took that shot from Thunderdome with Master Blaster, you know, and Blaster's the big creature, or the big creature, the, the big child man. You know, he's just a child from that scene. And then Master was the guy on top, and I photoshopped my face in, and, and several things like, oh, God, you've got it. It's on, on the, the screen, screen, but it, they're, they're showing the important part, me. <laughs> so this and is I'm you. fucking buff right there, too. That's you, the you're a badass. I know. It's very much. Uh, the, the way case, it is. So. Anyway, that's funny. So, quick notes, a uh, couple of announcements and stuff to get out of the way. This program is sponsored by the Atheist Community of Austin, a nonprofit educational organization promoting positive atheism and the separation of church and state, or as I like to say, the separation of religion and government. Love you, Amanda. Uh, but, yeah, uh, some things have changed. I posted an announcement today on uh, social media. Jamie Boone resigned as president of the Atheist Community of Austin, and th through this process, along with a couple of other uh, resignations and position shifts, I am now once again president of the Atheist Community of Austin. Uh, it's it's awesome. By the way, Jamie's not going anywhere. Jamie did talk heathen today. He's helping with all kinds of other stuff. By and large, we're just, you know, there, there were some issues that we resolved. This is a decision the board wanted to make. Uh, literally, I think it was because nobody else wanted to come in and like, but I'm here. And so I'll do it and we'll have fun. We'll keep moving on the mission. This This community... Um, as I mentioned in the note, has, has grown by leaps and bounds from, you know, we were working at the public access studio, you know, a handful of volunteers and maybe 20, 30 people show up and then maybe it'd get to 50 or whatever. We finally buy this building, the Atheist Free Thought Library, 1507 West Caney Lane. If you're atheist or atheist friendly and you're in the Austin area, <laughs> you should be here because this building's open seven days a week from uh, basically 11 to 9. And we've got a, a library, reading room stuff. There's games going on. There's philosophy meetups. There are, uh, well, I would say nine shows, but they're in various states of production at this point. But in addition to the Atheist Experience, you've got uh, Talk Heathen, Nonprofits, Secular Sexuality, Parenting Beyond Belief, Atheist Vanguard. Um, and I'm going to miss some because I don't have the list in front of me, and it's not because I don't know who you are. Uh, I promise. I'm not quite addled. But, uh, yeah, we're things are going gangbusters. I don't know how many people are here, but you might have topped last time. Well, I'm honored. Yeah, we've had some people I know who were visiting family uh, who uh, drove down from Dallas. I met a couple from Denver. Um, you Houston. know, when you're not here, there's like two people sitting there. That's not me. true. I know right. that's not true because I watch the show whenever I can. You know, we content but you can't see how many people are out there when you. But watch you can the show. hear. You get that vibe. I mean, you know, there's I an know audience. It's not a laugh track. I. I because I know you're you, not a skeptic. You have That's morals. I know. I, I trust that you're an atheist with morals. You I don't know. I don't know the answer to this question. Seth sorry. has demolished me in this debate. Sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah. So we got loads of callers. There's a couple announcements uh, related to the two of us that we want to get out since we're actually here. You and I are going to be uh, in uh, November second that weekend. Yep. Uh, we're working the Free Flow Convention in. Uh, is it is it Free Flow? Is it the, yeah? Free Flow. It's for, Florida Free Thought 2019. Yeah. With a retro theme. So they're doing like. Uh, you know, whatever, 60s, 70s, 80s. They're going to do a costume party Friday night. Costume isn't required, but, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to see some mullets and some disco, you know, attire. And and uh, all the, we're going to lay down that funky music until we die. That's what we're going to do. Because we're white boys. <laughs> so, that yeah, that's coming up in Orlando the first weekend of November. And then the week following that, you and I will be in Phoenix. And the details are just now coming in on that, um, but they have secured a venue. It's going to be at Hotel uh, Convention Hall, 
And uh, it will be a ticketed event, but it's not, you know, it, it should be accessible to anyone and everyone. And as soon as I get all of the info on all that, uh, you can find that. You can just go to my website, sethandrews.net slash events, and all the details are there as they come. Yeah, so for those of you who like one or both of us, you'll know where to find us. And for those of you who hate us, you'll know where not to be in November. <laughs> Save the uh, money so and, yeah, well done. Good for you. Take a vacation somewhere else. Uh, you know, it's, it's like when we did uh, an event with Cara Santa Maria in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. It's it's weird being on stage with Matt and there are certain other personality types. I'll put Arn in there and and uh, several others where you get on stage and you engage the audience and you look up and two hours have passed. Yeah. I mean, immediately. It's just uh, there's a dy- dynamic going on. There's uh, an engagement. The people are having such a good time that all of a sudden it's over and you just wonder what happened and you wish you'd had more of that kind of thing. And I think that's what Phoenix will be. I, I don't have a whole lot planned beyond we're going to go out and present a few ideas, but engage the audience and hang out. And that's going to be amazing. So anyway. I have one other thing, which isn't well, I have one other thing about my schedule, which isn't actually an announcement. It's a it's a teaser because it's not final yet. But there is at least a significant non-zero chance that I will be at Dragon Con this year. And as soon as I have the details, um, you, you bet I'll be screaming that because I've never been and always wanted to go. And this year, I, I have a potential opportunity to do that. I've never been. And I hear it's amazing. So take pictures. 90,000 people. Take pictures. Whew. Anyway, uh, you can, after this program is over, as a, rem- as a reminder, announcement, whatever it is, you can watch the latest episode of The Nonprofits. It's going to be airing, uh, premiering at 6.30 Central right after The Atheist Experience. Uh, the link's in the description if you're watching right now on YouTube. If you're sitting on the other side of the wall, you'll have to watch it on one of the screens while everybody else is eating. Um, and for those interested in the ACA Discord server, it's tinyurl.com slash Discord. Uh, don't ask us, because uh, while he occasionally streams games, he does it badly. I do. says so. I do. Uh, yeah. You ready to take some calls? Uh, I'm at your disposal, you my to, friend. Want to get to people? I'm a guest in your house. So yeah, let's, you uh, let's start off with something you know, nice and light. Roy in Israel, thanks for waiting. You're on with Seth and Matt. Oh, hi, guys. I thought I would have a little more of a lead-up. Well, usually, so normally we prioritize theist callers, but I, I wanted to kind of slow roll into this for my friend, and your topic was interesting. So go ahead and hit okay. us. Um, well, I actually had a bunch of questions to ask you guys, but I, if I had to pick one, I thought it might as well be uh, some advice. Okay. Um, as, uh, as an atheist in Israel, uh, the largest uh, issue that I come across that really bristles me is uh, infant circumcision, mm-hmm. um, which is both religiously and culturally uh, sanctioned. Uh, it's always been clear to me that I will never circumcise my children. I was fortunate enough to find a wife who agrees. Um, but as I'm getting into that age where people around me are having children, I find myself kind of holding back against really uh, spilling it all out and trying to actually convince. Um, it feels like it would be uh, preachy and possibly not even effective. So I wanted to ask if... Uh, Maybe you guys have experience with uh, such uh, su- uh, such. I don't. I, I don't know if it's traditions. I, I'm not really familiar with uh, Christian traditions uh, uh, at that level. Oh, it's easy. But they stole everything from the Jews, and some of us got circumcised against our will. Uh, yeah, and yeah. then we had a potluck. Uh, that's that's Christian yeah. tradition. Yeah, that's yeah. The person with the potluck, <laughs> a uh, fellowship, so, is what we call this. So, so I'll, I'll wait. 
What are your thoughts on this, and, and specifically with regard to the subject and with regard to the kind of advice he's looking for? Oh, you know, I, I'm a little out of my depth in that I hear the arguments usually step beyond the religious aspect of it. You know, the, is it the Orthodox Jews? There's a, a sect of Orthodox Jews, I believe, that actually circumcise using their teeth or something, you know. It's, yes, and they end up with babies with syphilis. Yeah, it, it's it's terrifying. Yes, that happens here. And, uh, you know, so I, we usually step within about five minutes out of that into the medical advantages, the health advantages of circumcision, which is a, a different discussion to have. Um, obviously, I think for religious reasons, I think it's it, it should be it, it is mutilating a child's body. And I, I disagree with the practice. I myself am not all that educated about the health benefits of circumcising or not. It's largely bullshit. The, 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 the data that they tend to cite is from undeveloped countries and talking about AIDS statistics and things like that. But, but it spins up in people's minds as if, well, you know, it's just, I mean, it's, it's easier to clean and make sure, blah, blah. Let me tell you something, which I've told countless thousands of people before. If you think it's difficult for a person with a penis to clean it in the shower, <laughs> you have no clue. That is the cleanest part of any adolescent coming out of the I've shower. got a visual now that I, I know. just, I didn't, you know. But no, I, I'm in agreement with you and with you, Roy, in that uh, for me, this issue is very simple. It's everything comes down to individual liberties, freedom, and consent. And you can't get a baby's consent, and this is not medically necessary. The only thing we should be doing to anybody without their consent is something that is medically necessary. And as long as it's not medically necessary, even if it's medically advantageous, there's absolutely nothing wrong, uh, apart from the fact that <laughs> babies don't tend to remember it, is, is the biggest reason people, I think, in, advocate for routine infant circumcision. There may be circumstances where circumcision is, is warranted for other issues, but not in a routine sense. And what's wrong with waiting until... That young person is old enough to be informed and make an educated decision about whether or not they want their penis circumcised. I mean, the whole discussion about bodily autonomy, right? It's yeah. the same discussion we have when it comes to women's right to choose, et cetera. Absolutely. You know? I, it's, I find it absolutely disgusting. I've said before that, you know, I wouldn't have known or noticed or cared because it's something that happened to me as an infant. So, you know, I've grown up and this is just the way it is. But after having done a lot more research into it and everything else— yeah, I'm more than a little pissed that something was done to me against my will. I understand my parents weren't trying to be evil and neither were the doctors, but we need to do a better job of educating people about this so that maybe people will stop just going along with what everybody else does, which is probably the biggest reason. Roy, do you guys have like an anti-circumcision group? Because we'd like to be members. <laughs> <laughs> um, they exist, but they Sorry. mostly make uh, noise on Facebook and the only people that Sorry. listen to them are the people that already identify okay. with uh, that opinion. I will say the, um, the question you were actually asking about, you know, having to engage with other people, you know, peers and stuff who are potentially having kids, that's difficult um, because our, our general kind of perception is, hey, this is a private issue and I don't want to stick my nose in how you raise your kids. And is it really all that harmful? Well, um, there's a joke running I'll, around. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you something. My, my parents are the best people that I know. I, I love them completely. But I can easily say that the worst thing they've ever done to me is circumcise me. Yeah. It's one of the, there's a meme running around the internet. In the scheme and like in the cultural scheme of things, it's not really uh, considered a terrible thing. But I think the fact that I can just like instinctually feel that that is the worst, the worst thing and even have an idea of a bad thing they've done to me. I, I, I think that this is something that should 
should not even be allowed to be uh, agreeable. I'd be in favor, personally, I'm in favor of banning it as a routine practice. When it comes to talking to the people that, that you care about, um, I don't, I don't think there's any problem, you know, as long as you're not like, oh my God, you're going to do that because you're not going to get the right result if you go down that road. If instead you're talking and saying, you know, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something. Are you guys considering circumcising, you know, if, if, if you have a job that's got a penis and, you can prompt a discussion there where you where you can raise your concern, your concerns respectfully. Um, you can have a conversation with them that leads to the sort of education that we need to be doing, like globally, like in sex ed classes in school. We need to be teaching people so that maybe the next generation doesn't have to uh, be essentially caught and mutilated against their will. I think too, if you're going to have that discussion, to lead with the word "I" instead of "you." Yeah, you know, I I'm you know navigating this discussion in my own life. I have some concerns. I, you know, I I'm wondering about this. I've been learning or researching, or or I think if you use the word "I," often it'll help keep people off of the defensive as you get into the sort of the early stages, the the beginning shallow waters of conversation about a very a topic that obviously people are going to have very deep feelings about and strong opinions about. I wouldn't, you don't dive into that deep end. I think you start with, I'm going through this process. I have some concerns. I wonder if you might share my concerns. That's a nice sort of a non-confrontational way to begin the discussion. Yeah, and, and it's not, so in, in contentious conversations, there's a strategy involved. Um, and, and if you watch various clips from the show, you'll see all of the hosts and co-hosts adopting uh, different tones and different styles at different times. And if you go watch a debate that I've done, that may be different from, you know, what you've seen on a show where I'm, ah, rah, rah, and you hang up. Um, the big thing is that if somebody knows you genuinely care about them, and this is an issue that you're concerned about, and you're not coming in with a you are wrong, uh, they're going to be more receptive. There's nothing about it that's dishonest because clearly you are concerned and you would like to have the conversation. So try to have it the best way you can uh, and just realize that the the bigger solution isn't going to be in one-on-one -on -one conversations. It's going to be a systemic change that starts with some outrage and education and then leads to, you know, a tipping point where all of a sudden this isn't the normal thing. Now it's now it becomes the less common act that we do. Uh, and then eventually you'll get to a point where maybe, thankfully, uh, it'll be eliminated. And, and I don't think anything should be done without consent unless there's a medical necessity. Yeah, I I I fully agree that the uh, trajectory is such that uh, at some point we will stop doing it, just as we stop sacrificing virgins. But uh, when, when did we uh, stop that again? <laughs> Sorry. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but when it's uh, somebody in your life that you know, then uh, it's not so easy to take the patient and uh, uh, Zen approach. Well, you're talking to the right person when you talk about not always always being able of taking the patient and Zen approach. So I can appreciate that greatly. <laughs> anyway, uh, Roy, if you, if you do end up having the conversation, uh, you know, you can email us. Anybody can email TV at atheist-community.org. Um, you can email or you can call us back and let us know how it went. Maybe you had a good experience, found a better way to discuss the issue, and that's something we can share with other people. All right. Well, that's... Uh... That's it's something that I'll, I've been holding myself off from trying, but maybe I'll give it a shot. See, uh, see how it goes. Yep. Um, uh, how how are we guys for time? Do you guys need to move on, or can I maybe sneak in a few questions? I, I'll let you sneak in one additional question because that one was good. Okay. <laughs> so, um, 
This is uh, th- this is a more uh, Jewish focused question, uh, which is why I didn't prioritize it. It's not really a. Social What's the question? question? I'm sorry. Okay, so that I'd cut. Through. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, uh, the question is that uh, the use of the term Jewish versus Hebrew mm-hmm. for atheist Jews, people that self-identify as atheist Jews. Um, I, I think the uh, the word Jewish is um, too muddled with the um, the conjugation of uh, uh, the, the society and the religion, uh, the culture and the religion. And I think it would be more elegant uh, a solution to uh, refer to uh, to refer to atheist Jews as Hebrews. Now, in, in English, I'll, I'll, I'll grant that it does sound like quasi like quasi racist. Uh, but in Hebrew, which I think is the main point, it really does work out. You know, I'll tell you, I, um, I probably all, almost always just used Jews. I remember one occasion where I decided to use Hebrews and I immediately got an email from someone saying, uh, don't say that. And so my general preference across the board is I will use whatever label, pronoun, whatever anybody wants me to. And so, you know, if you call back and I remember and you'd prefer Hebrew, I'll try to remember that. But uh, <laughs> see, I, I think that that makes communication untenable after a while. I, I would agree. And one of the things is that that ends up confusing uh, the culture with the language because Hebrew is what we, you know we, we would. I, I don't. I don't see that as a problem. You call the French the French. True. Okay. <laughs> Do I get that one? Can I, I, Hebrew. <laughs> I, I, like I'm going to argue with a, a Hebrew in Israel over what we should call people. I'm, yeah, <laughs> that's a fight I'm not picking today or any other day. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> anyway, we appreciate the call. Thanks. Uh, thanks, you guys. Just uh, last thing, I've been. Uh, Keeping up with you guys on and off for the um, past like ten years, you've been an amazing resource. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, doesn't back to the circumcision thing. Doesn't that come back to? We see often that guardians, parents, cultures will do things that may, in fact, or or do, in fact, damage someone, but they're not done for reasons of malice. They're done because the people who are doing them genuinely believe that this is right. This mm-hmm. is beneficial. You know, we have a Christian worldview. We send our children to, you know, a Bill Gothard homeschool. We have a Bill Gothard homeschool thing, which is hugely damaging. But in their minds, they believe it is right and necessary. Uh, they spank their children because the Bible says spare the rod, etc. Stop uh, doing that. It's amazing to see, you know, that all of this seems to fall under the umbrella of, well, why don't you just let people believe what they want to believe? Why do you have to raise a hand of protest? Why do you have to criticize? And of course, it's a great, it's because these things don't exist in their own little microcosm. They always ripple out and do actionable things and they affect the lives of other people, often the young and the impressionable and the vulnerable. And uh, so when I hear, you know, about this type of thing, it, it always has to come back to people need to be able, they need to be allowed to, and they need to give themselves permission to live their own lives. And that's so hard when you've been raised in an authoritarian model. A lot lot of people, I would say a good chunk of people, and for very good reasons, generally avoid conflict. There's a great experiment that I'm always reminded of when we hear about conformity, where they would take a bunch of actors and put them in an elevator facing the back wall. Somebody new walks in, stands there, and of course they're facing the door and everybody else is facing the other way. And the number of people who turn to face the back wall with everybody else is staggering. Uh, Rather than it doesn't make any sense. There's no reason to do it. There's tons of experiments that, that show that sort of thing. And when we're talking about, this is, you know, if somebody says, hey, 
Why can't you just let people believe whatever they want? Well, first of all, I am. I, I'm not forcing anybody to give up beliefs. We're, we're making arguments for why certain things are reasonable and rational or good and why some things aren't. And so when it comes to, like, all the people who, like, oh, well, I was spanked as a child and I turned out okay, I'd argue that you didn't if you're continuing that trend. And would we ever say, when, when, when people are challenged on this, on corporal punishment, oh, well, you know, it's always happened. Okay, that's a fallacy. It's called appeal to tradition. Go look it up. Uh, well, you know, it's my religious, strong religious conviction that you spare the rod, spoil the child. Okay. Um, if somebody came in and said, I've been beating my spouse, but it's my strong religious conviction that I should be allowed to do that, would we let that slide? No. So what makes the child different? I'll tell you exactly what makes the child different. Adults will say, you can't reason with a child the way you reason with adults. So what am I left with other than to hit him? I don't know. How about being left with try fucking harder <laughs> or be a little patient or recognize that if you're not going to get through to them with reasoning, what the hell do you think hitting them is going to do? It, it, it drives I me nuts. I saw a great, great meme. It was a, like a, an embroidered statement, and it said, tradition, it's like peer pressure from dead people. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's... I mean, I get the value of tradition and, you know, the merit of ritual and the human experience. It's how we frame our experiences, how we frame much of our lives. I think it's, wor it's a worthy endeavor to have traditions and carry them on if they have merit on their own. Yeah. But otherwise, it's just peer pressure from dead people. Or if we're talking about traditions that are just fun. Yeah, I like, buy that. The other day, it was, so it was Independence Day in the United States, or basically, ah, England Day in the United States. Uh, so 4th of July, we show off fireworks. There's all kinds of traditions. People start wearing their flag stuff all over the place. I, I served in the Navy for eight years. Uh, I am mildly patriotic, at least in the sense of what I think the Constitution should be enforcing, but I'm not going to be jingoistic about anything. Fireworks, I could argue all day long. That's a complete waste of money. You went out, you threw this, and you just, why was just burn your money right in the backyard? And yet, I sat out on the fourth for a little bit on the trampoline in the backyard, got to see some fireworks. It's fun. And if you're going to argue about, well, you're wasting money. Yeah. And we waste money all the time on all kinds of things. I didn't need to go see Endgame. Oh, yeah, I did need to go see <laughs> but, I mean, it wasn't like a need like oxygen. And so if we're just going to start poo-pooing everything that we do for fun, we th that's going to, you're going to be bored. And that, that, I know you want to get back to the switchboard, but you and I could talk all day. The I could listen to you. The, the merit of tradition and practice, like some people are like, you wouldn't have tradition and culture without religion, which I totally disagree with, right? You can remove the magical thinking or at least the truth claims from tradition in almost any culture, if not every culture. And you could enjoy their dress, their music. You could enjoy things in terms of gods being a fantasy or myth that you still enjoy the way you would enjoy, you know, the gods of all mythology. And it would color and enhance the human experience. You don't have to lie to yourself. You don't have to lie to children um, to have those types of amazing things. But I always say whenever he was talking about, you know, well, it's always done this way. This is what everybody thinks. I'm, I'm very interested in how the pressures of our cultures and society 
sort of nudge us toward going along, continuing carrying the mantle because that's what we're supposed to do. But but that aspect, that aspect of our psychology is not only ingrained in us. It's a good thing that children by and large listen to their parents and when I, you know, I because I said so, even though because I said so is a terrible reason, you are talking about somebody who generally is supposed to know better. And you know, the people who tell you to look both ways before you cross the street don't take candy from strangers, right? But what happens when they're the same people who tell you that Jesus is real and heaven and hell are real, et cetera? Right? Exactly. And, and I think that's one of the fears that some people have, that if we take away or if people give up the unwarranted beliefs that come from supernatural religions, you know, superstition, et cetera, that all of a sudden now they won't have the structure to encourage the good things. And I get it. Thinking about things like moral dilemmas takes a lot of effort. You have to consider a lot of factors. And yeah, I could talk all day about, you know, John Rawls' veil of ignorance as, as being kind of the easiest way to go about that. But there are people who genuinely fear that if we, as a culture, lose those traditions, those, you know, a fallacious appeal to authority is, is a fallacy, but citing an actual authority is not. And they're worried that if we get rid of one, we'll lose the other. I don't have that fear. I don't think, I, while there may be people out there who need a, a, a dictator or a religion or something to say, you will do this this way. Um, I think by and large, people are better than that. Because, and, and the truth is, we survived before we had those things. We were building our little communities. We were working together. And yeah, there was lots of superstition. But I don't think we have anything to fear from saying, you know what, this is the way reality works. And we can teach uh, yes, in fact, you can teach children uh, to just kind of backtrack to that other one. To reason with children? I mean, to a degree on their level, yeah. Yeah. On their level of reasoning, sure. You know, it's, and, and actually I would argue that you should, because that gives them the skills later in life to start questioning things, to figure out what's true and what's not. I, you know, one of the, I get in trouble on occasion because I try not to give advice to minors that call in just so that I don't have angry parents coming after me. But since I'm not talking to a minor specifically right now, all of you minors should be questioning everything, including your parents. And by the way, parents, you don't own your kids. You are stewards of those kids. That, that is a responsibility, not just a duty. But what, what would it have been like to have been raised in an environment like that? Like I was raised in, this is what you think. I mean, this is true. And, this, and, and they say, well, you can question it. But it's a rigged game. You're you're welcome to question as long as the answer comes back and it's this, yeah. right? I, I said in a speech that I gave uh, at the American Atheist Convention a couple of years ago that parents tell you, you can grow up to be anything you want to be. You can be anything you want to be in this world. And then they immediately after they say that, commit themselves to roping off your choices. Yeah. Right? They take, no, you can't be that. No, you don't vote that way. No, you can't live with this. No, you can't love that person. No, you can't dress this way. And they immediately sort of cordon you off and they sort of narrow your way toward one, maybe two doors. And it's a weird paradox. You can be any of these three yeah. things. <laughs> you can be whatever you want to be. And then they limit your choices. It's uh, Anyway, forgive the digression, but it was just an interesting thought I had. So for what it's worth. We can keep going. Frank in Connecticut, you're on with Seth and Matt. Hey, what's going on, guys? Just, you know, doing a show, talking to people. Nice. Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not here to uh, debate with you. You guys are way above me with a lot of stuff, so I'm not even going to try to say I'm right, I'm wrong. I'm just, I just wanted to get an opinion, I guess, from you, from my own experience of why I think there could be a, a higher power, if you let's call it that. Man, that that is a, that is about as vague as as anybody's ever started with. Why there could be a higher power? Cool. Um, 
Well, you know, I like to go out in the woods a lot, man. And, you know, I just kind of relax out there. And, you know, I might smoke a joint or something like that. Uh, crucify. Are, are you asking me on a date? Because I'll say yes. <laughs> Let's go out in the woods and smoke a joint. Yeah, okay. One time I was up there, was, there were some waterfalls there. And um, we got water, there's waterfalls. And it's a big fall that goes down into a little pond. And, it, and then it goes off into another little pond. And it goes off to a stream to another waterfall. So I'm sitting there, I just smoked a little bit, and I'm kind of just watching everything. And I seen a fox come out and get some water. Now there was a, uh, sorry, there was a squirrel there before, I was watching the squirrel. And then the fox came out across the pond, you know, and all of a sudden that squirrel just took off up the tree quicker than you can blink an eye. And I'm thinking, man, you know, that, that fox could kill that squirrel, no problem. But nature gave that the ability to that squirrel to climb up that tree quicker than quicker than, you know, you can blink an eye and it was gone and the, the, the fox can't get him. And it seems like in nature, everything has a, an ability, like a different ability to, to survive, whether it's big or small. You know, it has its own ability to defend itself. And, and You know why? So, go ahead, Matt. Because the squirrels that could not run the foxes died and didn't have offspring, so you're looking at the offspring of the squirrels that did have the ability to get away from foxes. Right. The the evolution, I agree with you 100. percent Cool. Um, well, I, I was thinking, why you know, what you know, everything that got put in, into motion, you know, that, that maybe there's a possibility that there's something out there that uh that kind of got everything in motion, and maybe you know what it is. I don't know. Maybe it just sits back and lets everything just take its natural course. You know, you know maybe. I'm thinking that maybe, you know, something, all right, let me put this pot together and throw this, throw that in it and just let it work and let it go. And, you know, and so, so this thing that maybe got everything started and maybe sits back and watches it. What what do you think we could say about that thing? What what can we know about that thing? Not too darn much. I mean, it's almost like it's sleeping, you know, like it's just just not. Almost like it just uh, it just created it and either lets it just lets everything go the way it's supposed to, or maybe it's not even a thinking thing. Yeah. Maybe it's an entirely natural process because we can't know whether or not what you're talking about is has any sort of agency or you know ability to do things. And and right. and if you're if you and I are in agreement, and I'm I I won't even say that you're that I think you're wrong about anything you said. The the point where I think we might have gone wrong is when we say. There's something behind this, and we can't know anything about it, but I'm going to view it as if it's a thinking agent, higher power, godlike being, because that'd be a mistake. Right. That'd be the, the same thing as okay. if, you know, uh, it's the reason why thunderbolts and light or lightning gets credited to, you know, um, Zeus and stuff. Right. Now, when he said something started it all, well, this is a variation. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Something started all this in motion. I'm like, yeah, we agree. Yep. Something started it. And the, and the problem is, is that our ability to investigate this is incredibly limited because everything, if you, if you go back using, for example, Big Bang cosmology, um, there's a point at which you can't go back further in time and there's the notion that time began to exist then. Plus, we have exactly one universe and no time machines. And so everything that we learn about the origins of the universe, the diversity of life, the, the uh, process by which, you know, uh, stars create an accretion disk that then gravity begins to manipulate in order to form planets, et cetera. Those are things we learned partially from observation, but quite a bit from inference. And the nice thing is that as we look farther and farther out in space, we are able to look further and further back in time. And so, you know, I've, I've toured with 
physicists who give great lectures on on all of this stuff. It's not that, right. as an atheist, I'm not saying necessarily there is no God, and I'm not even saying there, there's not a possibility of a God. All I'm saying is I haven't been convinced that there is a God or that it's possible that a God exists. Um, and the burn of proof is on, of course, the people who are saying that those things are true. I'm reminded right. of uh, Douglas yeah. Adams. Uh, was it his analogy when he was talking about human beings are like the the water in a pothole, or a, you know, that say, "Wow, you know, this yeah, the puddle of water." The, yeah, this yeah. it's it's formed perfectly just for me, right? Yeah. You know, and they were just sort of reverse the streams, and you just decide that maybe you were sort of the end all. He didn't necessarily go there in the call, but that's usually part of the prime mover, intelligent designer, watchmaker argument. Well, it's kind of where he started when he's talking about the capabilities of the squirrel being able to get away from the fox, that there there appears to be the hallmarks of design. And, but what about, you know, what about the, the seal that can't escape the, uh, you know, what about the, the, whenever we get into, wow, everything just seems so manufactured so that one thing plays well into the other. This is often under the intelligent design or, or um, uh, well, yeah, ID. You know, our, fine, our son gives us cancer. Someone explain that design to me. Uh, you know, we've got blind creatures with eyes. We've got deaf creatures with ears. We've got flightless birds with wings. We've got heavy bones and flying animals. We've got pelvises and whales. We've got redundant RNA. We've got... Uh, wisdom teeth. We've got men with nipples. You know, someone explain this to me. Someone explain the design. But it, it makes sense. Right. Please never do that again. <laughs> Please. <laughs> you know, honestly, it, and, and so it, I appreciate you know, the complexity often plays into this. I was guilty when I was a believer of saying it's all so complex. But, uh, you know, as many engineers will tell you, actually some of the best designs are not the most complex. Yeah. They're the most streamlined. They're, they're actually the least messy, the least complex. Yeah, it's. I, I think uh, an, an example from that Dawkins was fond of using was the laryngeal nerve on a giraffe. Yeah, yeah. which absolutely confirms, you know, giraffe evolution and the expansion of the neck because it goes all the way down and wraps around and comes all the way back up. And nobody would design it that way unless you were reusing old parts and then going out. And why would God or any any being capable of doing all this be forced to? And then what, what we'll get sometimes is, well, evolution's real, and it's just that God started it off or God intervened. And I'm like, okay, how, how do you prove that? But because the, there were several callers in the last week that talked about the appearance of design, and one of them repeatedly tried to quote Dawkins as referring to the appearance of design. And, of course, he did say it. And I released a video on my uh, Atheist Debates Patreon thing last week or two weeks ago. Um, no, it was last week. Uh about the appearance of design. And if you don't want to like go watch the whole thing, here's the short version. The second somebody says appearance from design, you know they're not talking about design because if we could confirm that it was designed, we would just call it design. When you say that something has the appearance of something, you're saying this seems like it might be that. Like when I'm on stage, I give the appearance of being able to read minds. I give the appearance of being able to make things float or change places. I'm not actually doing that. And anybody who said, Matt can actually is a wizard and can do so, th those people are mistaken. But as soon as they say, Matt can give the appearance of being a wizard, you are correct, sir. Let me jump in with one more practical question. <laughs> is, is it Frank? Is that right? My screen yes. went out, so I can't really see. Yeah. Yes, um, yep. Let's say there was, let's say that there was uh, a watchmaker, right? Something, some agency set the universe in motion, but then remained completely uninvolved in the rest of everything, then why bother? Like, what difference does it make to our lives? We're still, even right. if we believed in that watchmaker, we're still living in a natural, uncaring world. 
uh, that uh, functions with physical, natural laws that can be measured and repeated and tested and those types of things. Uh, for our practical purposes, I mean, there's no God involved in any of that. There's no higher power involved in any of our lives. It completely, right. It, right. It, it, it does not affect us really in any palpable way, right? I mean, would you agree that, uh, you know, if we think that something started at all and then went on, you know, went on walkabout, um, <laughs> really, we're, we're on our own regardless, right? <laughs> Right, we're on our own. That's what it seems like. Um, can I ask uh, one more one more thing? Um, Absolutely. What do you What do you guys feel about the uh, Sumerian legends? You know, the ancient Sumerians and and what their what their kind of beliefs there that we were. Uh, sometimes I think maybe we're just really fancy uh, top of the line androids. Maybe you know, maybe we we're created. Sometimes I think uh, maybe we're like a, a, a robot creation. I mean. So, so let me let me dig in on this for a second because I laughed, um, and it wasn't your fault at all. Because when you ask what do you think of the Sumerian legends, I was reminded of a week or two ago when somebody called in to uh, ask what I thought of of uh, Native American legends, and when I pointed out that I don't believe them either, and you know all human beings m make up stuff, I was it was suggested that I was racist. So uh, I'm I'm glad there's probably no. Sumerians actually listening at the moment because I don't believe their legends either. I think this is what humans okay. do. When we don't have enough okay. information, we make up the stories. And when the stories are popular, when they seem to give us an answer, it eases our frustration with not knowing the answer. And that's why, in part, in a small way, you were calling to do something very similar to those types of legends. You aren't saying, oh, there's a God and I'm convinced. You're talking about the possibility of it and how you see the sort of things that might lead you down that path. And you're constructing okay. essentially a modern narrative version of that that may be more scientific. And okay. I look at all of it. I, yeah. I look okay. at all of it and say, the time to believe it is after we actually have evidence for it. And you know, if you're just like, nope, you're, if I were to just say, nope, you're wrong, that's cynicism. But saying, I'm not convinced you're right is an application of skepticism, and those are different. But yeah, I, I, I'm not, uh, I, I don't, you'd have to define robots and everything else, because I'm pretty sure we could cut me open and we're not going to find, like, you know, nuts and bolts. Let's not do that. Oh, come on. Uh, no, I, it's it, a special show. So I, I, every time we talk about the Sumerians, I'm always, because obviously we're talking about a civilization that predates young earth creationism by like 5,000 years or whatever. And I'm reminded, of, I think it was an onion headline that said, ancient Sumerians invent God. And I thought, you know, that's, that's pretty much it, right? I mean, they certainly invented something. They had technology. Well. They were using technology before. Christianity says their Adam and Eve even existed. That's all right, because just the other day I found out that during the Revolutionary War, those <laughs> heroes came in and took out the airports first. The British airways are coming. Oh, the British man. airways are coming. I, yeah, I've seen all those memes online. They're awesome. Anyway, is that... Oh, the church scene. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just, I just want to know if that was a satisfactory answer, because I've got some more... Oh, that was, that was a great answer. I want to thank you. Yeah, I mean, you guys are very, very knowledgeable, man. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. It's like the church and religions uh, got what they wanted, power and control. And, and they seem to have done it, and, you know. And they, I don't know what could ever stop the rain. I don't know. I think it's up to oh, us to undo not, it. It's, uh, I'm, I'm going to let you go, Frank. And, and Seth and I are going to talk about this okay. a little bit off air. But we appreciate right. you. Thank Thanks, you. man. Uh, what can we do about it? It's being done. Yeah. First of all, religion is on the decline. The the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S. Here the, in the United States. Yeah. Uh, worldwide as well in some demographics. But, but this whole thing about religion got what they wanted. They got power and everything else. Right now, there are people who are convinced that things are as bad as they could be. And 
normally I would recommend they read like Stephen Pinker's book, The Better Angels of Our Nature and stuff, but there are people who poo-poo all that. As far as I'm concerned, I'm living in the best of all times ever. Uh, that seems redundant. But the thing that strikes me is that there's a backlash. There's a backlash from, particularly from bigots who used to be in a position where they could push people around and exercise control. And what they're seeing as their religions lose control over individuals and as society changes and we learn more is that they're not as able to do that as they were. And so now you're getting louder voices, more violent voices, more violent people in part of this. Doesn't mean the situation's worse. It's smaller pockets of people. And it is, from my perspective, like the last flailing gasps of the dragon. Like a desperate animal, yeah. You know, Um and I look at that as positive because the data show that things are improving and that the power that rested with particular groups uh, of hateful people um, is diminishing. I know it doesn't always feel like uh, that. Prepare yourself because you're about to get a ton of emails from people telling you why the world is needs to be burned to the ground and we I, have to start over from square one. I so. get it. And I know how they got there. And they're not entirely wrong. And if, if you take nothing else away, because we're not, we're not digging in on this topic, there's too many other it's calls. not enough hours in the day. The solution to most everything is better education. But one thing that happened towards the end of the 19th century, there were people who, who were, their view on religion was, we've solved that problem. Let the little peons keep their religion and we'll stick with science. And it created this, this break between public perceptions of intellectuals. It also set us back because those people were not on watch for what could happen. So in the 1950s, that's all of a sudden when we get the McCarthy era stuff and the national motto of the United States changes from e pluribus unum to in God we trust. It's when they start slapping it on the money in 1954. Um, that backlash is because people did not continue to put pressure towards a more secular world. You have to be vigilant, not vigilantes. I'm fine with violence I'm when it's warranted, I'm fine with a I qualify that for me. A rebellion, like as a as violence sure. against violence you. with regard to self defense. We've we've sorted through this. I don't know why some people find that it's particularly difficult. Uh, by and large, I didn't mean to derail you. Yeah, no, and this Sorry. was where we weren't going to go, but we will for a minute. For me, um, the the question is: Okay, when is violence justified? Well, it's first of all, it's situational. Um, in defense of yourself, in defense of others. I'm fine with that. Well, how far, how long do I have to wait back? Does it, does it fist have to be here? Does it have to be here? Does it have to be here? What, what point? And that's not always an easy question to answer, but we strive for making sure that we have an imminent threat or clear and present danger. And that we, while everybody can, almost everybody can empathize with the sort of vigilante justice that goes on if you're the parent of a child who was murdered by someone, we understand that person's desire to, to seek vengeance there's a reason we don't allow it, and it's because that vengeance isn't justice. People make mistakes, people lie, there needs to be due process to make sure that everybody's rights are protected, and we go that way. Oh, well, you're just saying you can sit around and talk everybody out of everything. No, I'm not. Or you want to hold hands with the enemy and yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I recognize that there are people whose minds are probably never going to be changed. And yet, just before the show, I got an example of this, which I posted to Facebook, Um there was a show, it was Wife Swap or Trading Spouses or, or something along those lines uh, from 10 or more years ago where there was a woman on there who was the God warrior and she became all kinds of memes and she was screeching, they're all dark-sided and everybody made fun of her. And she was like the poster girl for uh, religious fear 
and in a slight way, bigotry. And there was a uh, an article that I posted. I wish I ha- had it to share. You can hit up my Facebook page to find it. Uh, it's from a, a, a gay news source in the UK. She's now an LGBT ally, has been seen, you know, at, at events, and people have talked to her, and she's raising flags. She's fundamentally changed who she is. I don't know if she's given up religious belief or not. I, I didn't dig in beyond that. I don't know how much of her life has changed, but it's absolute confirmation that people can and do change their minds. Some of us who've been involved in this for decades already knew that yeah. because we get email on a regular basis like, oh my gosh, I had this weird belief or that weird belief. Both of us were reasoned out of an unreasonable faith. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're, we're walking talking proof as yeah, well, where Christian things get Christian sticky though is, is, and not sticky for me, but what I usually hear in return is the protest that, well, language is violence. So no, it's not. the violence in return is actually a, an act of self-defense. Yeah. And, I, and I, I get it. I, I, understand I understand the power of language. I mean, we're both professional communicators. The type of the type of language that I would say comes closest to violence is the language that's, that's already prohibited. You can't incite a riot. You can't... I mean, Charles Manson essentially went to jail for sending other people to kill someone. Uh, but his conviction was for murder. And I may or not... I'm not a lawyer. I may or may be wrong on this, but I don't think the felony murder rule is in effect. I've always been under the impression that he was kind of railroaded a bit. Wait a minute. Before the email comes in, it's like, <laughs> I'm so like Matt oh, doesn't think Charles Manson should have been in prison. <laughs> Look forward to I'm talking about a headlines. very persnickety yeah. legal point. The guy, we were definitely better off with him in jail, and so was he right yeah. up until he died. Uh, but now there's a felony murder rule so that if you are uh, an instigator, a participant, or even the getaway driver in something where somebody you know is otherwise convicted of murder, you can now do that. I'm fine with that. We, we've done a lot to make sure that our laws are fair and just, to make sure that we are not running around, you know, with, you know, ad hoc posses put together, not by law enforcement, but by me and you. Let's yeah. go out and we're going to run this guy out on a rail. Subjectively deciding which words are violence, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, and there are people there are people who I vehemently agree with that, you know, hey, this is the right issue. This is the right stance on the right issue. The and, right stance, yes. And yet, well, we disagree on tactics. Right. And yeah. that's it. But you you often can't talk about that, as I found out the other day. Uh, and for all the people who are, at this point, cringing or wanting to say, yep, that's what we expected from Seth and Matt, whatever else. I, I just, I, I know there's probably nothing I can say right now that's going to necessarily affect this, but just because somebody disagrees with the method that you're willing to do doesn't mean they're an enemy of yours. And if you begin continuing or if you continue to alienate people just because they are not a hundred percent in line with you, but oh you only got you only got ninety-eight percent of me, Seth. You're not as superhero why, as why why are we so eager to turn allies or potential allies into enemies? I, I think it, our value systems are often the same. We want a better world, we want a more uh, hey, do you want full equality for the LGBTQ community? Absolutely. Ditto. So we're you know we're on the same page. We may disagree though on tactics, and, and I just resist these purity tests that are in place that say that if if you do not advocate violence, like a mob violence kind of a thing, a proactive mob violence, then you are essentially an enabler of the enemy. I just reject those types. It's almost a dogmatic religious model um, where you well, know, the, the, the argument is essentially that those of us who would disagree are just waiting too long. And the people who are acting early are uh, terrified of what happens if you wait too long. And I want to say I completely understand with that. I can empathize. Uh, I'm not going to shit on the people who are saying and doing this. I haven't lived their lives, and I don't have their frustration. I just don't agree with 
yeah. the tactics that some people are using. And so now that we've spent all that time on a subject we weren't going to go to, uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. So have, have you guys encountered? I mean, like looking at the audience. I mean, you can't see their hands. Show of hands. I mean, have you guys engaged in some of this? Like, have you seen yeah, some you, of the polarization you can't see going any of their hands? Nobody. Uh, I, it's mostly for me. I'm just looking. I see a lot of head nodding. No, nobody's experienced it but you. Okay, thanks. Well, I'm sorry I wasted your time. Appreciate sure. you very much. In Wyoming, we have RAO. You're on with Seth and Matt. Good afternoon, Seth and Matt. It is great to talk to you again, Matt. And Seth, it is nice to talk to another Okie. I haven't been able to do so for a while. What part of Oklahoma? Uh, Wyoming. KC, actually, and, and Guthrie. <laughs> uh, no, I moved out here about three years ago, but I heard on the news that I might be able to be heading back soon. So oh, I, I figured it was Oklahoma. Wait, no, 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 I have to ask. You heard on the news that you might be able to go back to Oklahoma? What are you on the run from? Um, um, not enough pot for three people. <laughs> okay. Is, is like weed a recurring theme on this show? Is it just like something I need to know about? Or <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. I guess you all got a following. Yeah, yeah. Well. All right. Well, what, let's, let's get to the point because uh, I'm not high and you might be. And <laughs> I actually have to clock in today. I'm actually taking a I'm actually taking a cigarette break so that I can talk to you guys right quick. All right. But uh, um, the first time that I called you, I heard the very best joke regarding my name. The from the using and since my name is regarding the first person to troll me, and since the person that delivered it is you know basically the secular surrogate of the atheists, I, I just found that kind of interesting. <laughs> then I kept watching a little bit further, and then Eric popped off with something that was really weird. I'm sorry, man. We've been using you as our therapist, and oh, it's all right. I've got eight years of psychology. And I'll, what? And then Eric kind of perked up at that, too. And then I, I was looking for one more thing so that I could have an argument. And then one of the very last questions that you asked was something that I would have answered with this particular argument. Have you ever turned on the TV or has, has anything ever happened weird with the TV and you thought that might be God? Not when the volume adjusts, not when the lighting adjusts, but when you turn on the TV, you turn on the radio, and it is saying exactly what you're emotionally going through right now and is damn near always in a state of emotional um, pinnacle or thought pinnacle that you're hearing on the radio what sounds like telepathy. So I was in the car the other day. I was in the car the other day and a song came on which was exactly the right song for exactly what was in my head. And one of the things that I had to immediately pause and think about is that there were probably 150 songs that would have also been exactly what was going on in my head. And there's and that's 150 out of how many? Well, I don't know, I don't but know if we're how many songs? Do, does it matter? I, I'm I'm going to need some alcohol for this. Yeah. I'm going to need somebody hit the. Uh, is there a still or well, something? This is Texas. All right. Even though keep keep going, Mario. It give us. It doesn't give us like certifiable 100 percent evidence, but it doesn't give us one percent. It gives us. I think it gives us a degree of likelihood if we can see okay. a pattern flow throughout time. Okay. Because so all the next week. So, I'm not so the, sure. I, I don't understand the question. About, let, me, let me see if I can clear uh, this up. Week I was, Ario, uh, hang on just okay. a second. I I need to put the bad decoder on this real quick. I'm going to let you verify that I'm getting this right, but Seth wasn't following. Essentially, 
you'll have a certain thought or whatever. You turn the TV on, and it's saying essentially what you're th- thinking or what you needed. Like the and universe kind of lines up in that moment. And he's saying that this serendipitous, you know, or this uh, situation is somehow giving an indication that there's a higher power, God, whatever, who's decided that here's the song that the DJ is going to play. He needed to hear that song at this time, and so he aligned sort of your reality to suit you. Is that accurate? Um, yeah, yes. Throughout the next week, I had had a big complaint on my mind. And without going to specifics, my big complaint was deceptive editing. Well, then on talk heated, Your big complaint was what? Specifically, uh, deceptive editing. Okay. When you, when you edit something to make somebody say something they didn't say. Yep. And so Which, by the way, congrats. Talk- Somebody's going to do that to you as soon as this gets posted because you mentioned it, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, anyway, on Talk Heathen, that uh, very next week, Matt flat out said, "Do not clip this. I would not like to hear. I would like not, not like to hear myself being obsessed with Taylor Swift." And I'm yeah, I'm actually over that because I am obsessed with Taylor Swift. So it's fine if somebody wants to make nice. me seem that way. Okay. Well, then. Not in a dangerous uh, way, Tay. Tonight, can you assert that I did not choose the order of these calls? Can I do? Can I assert that you did not choose the order of these calls? Correct. I haven't. I have no reason to think you had any influence over the order in which we took calls. Well, in the very last call that you took, you had mentioned a call where deceptive editing would have come into mind that very same week that you were on Talk Heathen talking about do not clip this. So, are you are you in any way suggesting, just for clarity, that there's a god or higher power that induced me to say something to give you a message? Um, not specifically, but not no. Okay. I don't think it was specifically to give me a message. I think it was simply to deliver a message. Okay. How do you know that I wasn't the one that decided to deliver the message? Well, you did, but it's the it's it's a domino effect. It's these little it's it's little pieces that end up making something big. Okay. I, I I'm re- I'm really trying here, Ario. I'm not trying to be a dick or anything, but I think I know where. You're, well, we've talked a little bit about where you're going. The problem is, is that I can't look at a, at, a, at a number of things that are likely coincidental uh, and say, oh, wait, there has to be a connection here or there's likely a connection here because I know how good people are at making connections that don't exist. The, right. In I particular, that's happened to me 50 times today. So the, the point is, is the time to believe that there's a governing authority that's making these decisions and everything else isn't when we have an inkling or a suspicion and we've seen some connection and that's our interpretation. The time to believe is when we can actually demonstrate that that is likely to be the case. Well, ain't nobody going to be able to demonstrate anything they're not looking for. Well, first of all, I don't know that that's not necessarily true. Or I don't know that, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Nobody's going to be able to demonstrate anything they're not looking for. So people can't accidentally stumble upon to- things? Well, you have to be looking for something to find something else accidentally. Okay, so look. Who, who's saying don't look? But for thousands of years, we've been looking for evidence and sound arguments for the existence of any gods, and we've come up with nothing. And, and, and even now, all these years later, you're calling in to say, well, these sort of, you know, um, coincidental things could represent a pattern, and I think it gives us an inkling in that direction. Uh, but that doesn't really get us any closer. It 
doesn't give us an assertion, but it gives us possibilities. And no, 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 po- want, uh, no, no. Possibilities have to be demonstrated. The fact that you can hypothetically come up with a connection doesn't mean that that is an actual possible connection. You would have to demonstrate that that connection between a God and this message is possible. Because when, when something happens, um, hang, hang on, when something happens right. and we want an explanation for it, what we do is we look through a, a potential, a list of candidate explanations. And we need to look at, first of all, the ones that are demonstrated to be plausible or likely. If we find, uh, I, I don't know, if it doesn't matter. I'm not going to come up with an example that's appropriate at this moment. If we look through for, and we want to explain something, we come up with a list of candidate explanations, then we analyze which ones are more likely. And then even if we found the most plausible explanation, that doesn't mean we're justified in thinking it's the right one until there's sufficient evidence to warrant it. But what you're doing is saying that, okay, I need an explanation for why this song came on the radio or this show came on TV uh, at the exact moment or why I tuned in at this exact moment. And instead of looking for all the plausible explanations... You just leap to one that you want to label as possible and say, well, this kind of leads us in that direction. I'm curious about all the times it didn't line up when you needed to hear a certain song and it didn't play or when you wanted something to happen or needed something to happen and it didn't happen. All right. Do we only count the hits and ignore? You're counting the hits and ignoring the misses, probably, right? I, I just think that sums up to you going the wrong direction if you're not seeing it. Once you start seeing it, once you start lining up with it, that's where you're at. And I'm pretty much here to shut Ben down from making Wyoming look bad and knocking off synchronicity and frequency as a one-off and then connecting it to the Bible. Because ben I have no like, clue. How, what how, how, like, how do you determine how long a call like this goes on? Like, do you just... Oh, this long? I, I mean, like, I, you know, I'm I'm a guest. I don't want to be rude, but... How do you determine how long you engage? I know I'm, I I'm t- entertained. I tend to look out on the other side of the glass. They're, look, they all look like Captain Pike from Star Trek. Clint. They're like beep beep. They're just not even moving. They just have this drone look on their face. Yeah, I tend to I tend to look out there, and when when the eyes start glazing over, rolling back a little bit, I'm like, okay, I'll give it five more minutes. I mean, I, and you have the patience of Job, if you'll pardon the expression, because I, like. I, I'm the guy, I'm supposed to be the nice guy. And the first, my first thought is, what the fuck's he talking about? That was the first thing that happened. And you were so patient and you were engaging and answering the questions. And I thought, you know, I should adopt that mindset. I shouldn't just dismiss the conversation at the front because to me, it, I wasn't, I just wasn't connecting those dots. I need to do a better job, but I did have that. I mean, if I'm going to be honest, I was like, what the fuck's he talking about? <laughs> By the way, <laughs> as a favored guest and a good friend of mine. Yeah. If at any point you're done... I wasn't telling you to hang up the phone. No, I'm just... I was thinking... Do you know what would happen? How do you decide? Do you know what would happen if in the middle of the show, while I'm sitting here patiently explaining (laughs) something, you were like, fuck this, and just slammed down and hung up? I'm not going to do it. Those people would go nuts. I'm not that guy. I'm really not that guy. (laughs) I don't know if we'll find somebody like that, but I'm glad it happened. So, yes... It's worth noting that last week on the show, Matt didn't really yell at anybody or hang up on anybody way, or talk about slavery. While he's talking, Jamie from the back brings me a beer. I don't even drink beer. And he poured me one while the call was going on. Yep. Uh, please, yeah. don't and, let me And evidently, run. I'm continuing the streak today because <laughs> I am in an exceptionally good mood for a number of reasons. Right. But uh, one is that Seth is here and others. Who do you want to go to next? Line one, two, three, or four. Pick one. Two. Two it is. Chris in Idaho, you are on with Seth and Matt, and it says, let's say someone rose from the dead and said they were sent by God, that should be sufficient evidence. It, it, okay, that, that's what the call screen said. Is that essentially your point? 
Yeah, that's what, that's my point. Um, so obviously the claim has to be made first. Otherwise you, you would have a right to be like, um, why should we, uh, consider whatever this person is doing to be of God? Sure. So obviously the claim has to be made first. And then if the claim is followed up by something that defies the laws of nature. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's give your, your position the full benefit of the doubt. Let's imagine that my grandmother died. Uh, That's not imagining. She actually died a month or so ago and I went to the funeral. Um, And, you know, unless I was somehow fooled and, you know, that was a fake body in the casket, as long as we had good confirmation that she was actually dead. If my grandma walked into the show right now uh, and I knew her and she was able to communicate and it was clearly her and she told me that she had been sent from God, your view is that that would be sufficient evidence to just believe that, in fact, there is a God who sent her back. Hmm. Well, I mean, obviously, I think it's all based on you viewing the body seeing the burial, seeing all those things take place. Well, help then, paint the, the scenario for me that you have in your mind. No, no, no. All, tell me. All the things that. What's the situational ahead. in your mind that, that you're talking about? Someone, someone dies. Yeah. So I'm, I guess I'm coming in here presupposing, you know, the existence of God. So this is, you know, I'm referring to the Jesus, you know, him claiming to be God. So. Okay, yeah, but it, but how do you know how do you know that Jesus existed and actually claimed to be God? We'll start right there. Well, I think that with the existence, I think. Um, okay, you lost me at the words. I think. Okay, what I want to know is. Okay. How do you know, right? How do you know that Jesus existed and rose from the dead? How did you come by this information? Well, obviously, the the Gospels are the first starting point. Okay, who wrote those? Reading over that. You don't know who wrote the Gospels? Uh, disciples. Disciples. So Matthew, Mark. No. No, 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 no. There no, may have been no, other Mothers. No, no, no. That, that's Stop. false. Stop. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are names attributed by the church. Pick up a Bible. Any, right. any modern Bible will, will tell you that. The authorship of the Gospels is unknown. But that's irrelevant because we don't have any way to question the source or anything else. So you're getting this information uh, from a book. Let's assume, well, I, I, Seth and I have a mild disagreement about the think no thing, but I'm going to let him. No, no, no. Continue. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, what do you, what's going on? You were using, mind, no, no, no. We, the, the disagreement faded because you were using no in the sense of how are you aware of this, not how does this count as knowledge uh, of a fact. Are you getting philosophical on me? Yes. Oh, uh, shit. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right. So how do you know? Well, what I'm saying, if the Gospels were written by anonymous authors who were not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were written long decades after the alleged life of Christ. This is thousands of years later, meaning that this stuff's been sort of passed down and changed and altered and retranslated and whatnot. And even now, you know, with all the information technology we have, we can't source the original story. How do you know it happened? And I think that's that's the spirit of my question. Yes. Well, I think just like the the time... Um, the demographic and all that. So just, uh, you know, him being within the Roman empire, um, you know, just interacting with, you know, people that were sick during that time. Um, how would you come by that knowledge? Pilot, you know, all all those things are, I mean, do do you um, see where I'm going? Like uh, discovering the tomb and all that. So so you keep going back. They're not considered witnesses. You keep going back to the claims. Everything, everything about right. this story is claims. Where's the evidence for the claims? 
Okay. Well, I mean, I, you, you do have to accept it on, you know, you have to take a step in faith. Okay. No, no I don't. With the whole thing. No, well, he's saying you would uh, have I mean, to. You, you would have oh, to. Oh, take, I'm sorry. I thought he was saying, saying you that are we required. Have to, forgive me for yeah. misunderstanding, my friend. I'm sorry about so, that. So here's the yeah, thing. I was, I was saying if, if you, so if you have to take a faith, step of faith, and then the way that you're using it, you're saying you have to begin to believe even in the absence of evidence. Is there anything, any claim, or any position that anybody could ever present that you wouldn't then be justified in saying, "Well, I'm taking it on faith." Well, I mean, any type of situation or any type of religion, I guess. Could, okay, why you know, why are you carving out a you, special you to, block for religion? Same, you have to take the same. You would have to take the same step. So, it, so if a devout Muslim I, I then believes in Islam, validity. if a devout Muslim believes the Quran on faith, then you would give them equal credence. You'd give that equal weight. You would hold to the Islamic faith too. I would say that they, you know, because in their culture, that's what they're being presented with and everything, that it's likely that they're going to accept that. Yeah, I'm not talking about belief. I want to know. Cultural influence. I'm not talking about what they believe. I want to say. We're talking about your criteria for belief. If if your criteria would also be used by a Muslim supporter, why aren't you also a Muslim? This is something John Loftus calls the outsider test for faith, right? If you're going to accept a faith claim based on your in-group religion, are you willing then to exceed, uh, receive with with equal enthusiasm the faith claim of every other religion? So this is the distinguish the distinguish. Uh, what's the word? Um, to distinguish Christ from Muhammad. Muhammad was more of a warrior. T- um, you know, kind of like let's fight for you know the faith at times. But why is you know, that? Killed no, 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 stop. Stuff like that. And Chris, Chris, of, Chris. Hey, trust me, I'm not trying to beat you up. I am trying to save you from yourself because what we're asking about. If your reason for believing that Jesus was divine and rose from the dead is because you first have to take an exercise of faith and accept what the book says about it, and a Muslim were to take that same exercise of faith and accept what their book says about it, in order for you to be intellectually consistent, to have good standards of evidence, you would then be in a position where you would be forced to accept both of these. And when we ask about that, you just start trash-talking that Muhammad isn't the type of— person that you would believe in i'm just saying that you have to distinguish the two you have to look at both religions and come to your you know obviously that's the first step but if you come you're, if you're, you're drawing like, a okay. conclusion how do you draw that conclusion what's your criteria do you do you accept or reject on faith or do you look beyond faith okay well i i know that uh earlier seth i heard somebody uh, talking about the watchmaker and you said that um you know, why believe in a God who doesn't re- interact with uh, reality? And you kind of dismiss That's not what I said. Experience. That's not what I said. What I said well, was it wouldn't make any difference to our lives if a watchmaker designer agency did exist. The deistic God that doesn't intervene is an irrelevant, useless God. You can you have no more reason to believe in it. You have no reason to care what it thinks about. You have no reason, none, none of this. But where where are you going? Because I, I, I promise. Okay, well, I know where I'm going hang, here. Okay, hang on, so this is hang on. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just, I just, I want to try and and be as clear with you as possible. Some of the questions that we ask in this Socratic process are definitely traps. 
That's why they feel like traps. But when we use them, it's not a ten, an intent to expose you as being a buffoon. It's an attempt to get you to recognize that you are engaged in double standards, that you have a standard that you apply to Christianity for some reason, which you don't apply to other religions. And when we ask why you do that, then you're like, well, because Muhammad was more of a warlord. Well, what the hell does that have to do with whether or not the claims are true? Okay. Well, this is, uh, I can see where you're going, okay? You're saying, you know, they're basically this, um, why don't, you know, Muslims have just a, a, a more of a reason to accept that than no. Christians do? No, that, what I'm saying it's is that... just being presented with a book, correct? What I'm like, saying is that your epistemology, your foundation for, do you care what, about what's true and not true? Of course I do. Is faith a reliable path to truth? I would say... To be honest with you, probably not. Okay. Christopher Hitchens has no, a great no, quote. Hey, oh, forgive hey, me, Matt. No, no, no. Go ahead. That's all we were trying I mean, to get you to realize yeah. is that if you ha okay. if you care about the truth and you provide a method, like if I want to know how wide this table is and I have a ruler that I, I don't know if it's reliable or what good would it do for me to use that ruler to try and measure it if I don't already know that it's accurate? And when you get to the point where you acknowledge that, hang on, faith probably isn't a reliable pathway to truth because faith could lead me to false claims. If you truly care about truth, then you want to reform the process by which you make decisions about what's believable so that you can weed out the false things or as many false things as you can and keep the true things. And so if you have good right. reason to believe in Jesus or Muhammad or uh, crystal healing or rake, whatever it is, if you have good reason and evidence for it, then you should accept it. And so should we, and we would. But if you don't, then acknowledging that is the first step to getting to the point where we're not, I'm not trying to say, Hey, let's end this call uh, with Chris saying, yep, I was wrong. I'm an atheist. All I'm trying to get Chris to say is the reason that I believe some things doesn't seem to be warranted. And I need to go out and continue asking questions and explore this because the things I believe might also not be warranted. And if it turns out they are, right. then you can call back and share it with us and, and tell anybody. And then we'll all know what the truth is. And you won't know it by faith. Well, I think there's one thing that you guys dismiss and i don't think that you should i think personal okay. experience oh is I, something I okay go ahead i'm sorry well you, you well i'm just saying you have to be able to okay so if god is gonna interact with us okay so you have to think about obviously he's not going he's not visible to us why not he's in a different you're making all kinds of claims about God that are, that are part of the reason why you haven't come up with a good way to test for this, because you clearly have assumptions about God. God's not visible to us. How do you know that, and why would it be true? Well, obviously, we, we don't see him interact within the physical, our physical um, experience. Well, uh, obviously, okay. I, so, obviously I'm, I think, obviously what? Well, I, I agree that we don't see that. but you saying, obviously, he's not here physically interacting okay. with us. So here's the, here's he, the, the thing. The way that he is going to interact if they're, you know, they're being a God is he's going to interact in a, in a more personal way. How do you know that? Us, if he's spiritual. How do you know that? I mean, to me, it makes sense that, that that's how he would interact. Why does it make sense to on you? On a personal level. If either of us Why? were to just say that you're wrong because that would make sense to us, would that be remotely convincing? It wouldn't. I know. I, I know where you're going. Okay. I, I didn't. Mean I know walk, you know where. where I didn't I'm mean going. to walk on. Yeah, and I didn't mean the to host in me. The host in me was jumping out. Yeah. But it, it, look, Take I want you. I want you to remember a famous quote by the late Christopher Hitchens. He said, "It's called faith because it's not knowledge." 
right? If we genuinely know something, there's no required, there's no need to take it on faith. And if you're going to accept it on faith, then you're going to have to play in the arena where every other religion, every other belief system, every other truth claim playing the faith card gets equal treatment. Otherwise, you're being a hypocrite right. about faith. I think faith is a terrible way to determine what is true or not true. And uh, I would encourage you to, you know, uh, let's, I don't want to just believe. Let's go out and, and know or try to know. And if we can't find the answer, instead of making one up or accepting it on faith, we simply are honest with ourselves and others and just say it. I don't know. I hope to one day know and make that truth journey about an evidence-based exploration of, uh, of facts and sort of a, a journey toward knowledge with no faith at all in play. And I don't want to beat up your other point, but let me ask you a couple of quick questions and I will let you expand after that. Do you believe that there are people who are being abducted by aliens? Absolutely not. Okay. Now, a minute ago, before I rudely interrupted you to make a point, you were about to talk about how we dismiss personal testimony. Now, we don't. If somebody gives me their personal testimony about something, I am willing to accept that they have had an experience and that they are honestly trying to describe their understanding and interpretation of that experience as best they can. But that doesn't mean that I am warranted to believe their conclusion. And if you're going to come in, and this is like a preemptive thing, if you were going to come in to talk about how we should have been uh, more accepting of personal testimony, then it's worth noting that you don't accept the personal testimony of people who've claimed they've been abducted by aliens. And that is a claim that isn't in any way supernatural, that is fairly common, and where you can actually go and speak and interview the people who will tell you these stories. You have none of those things for the Jesus story. There's nobody you can interview from then. There's no evidence that you can appeal to. And the personal testimony that you're appealing to is a copy of a copy of a translation of a copy of, a, of an oral tradition from an anonymous source. How can that possibly be more reliable then my Aunt Josephine telling you about the time that she saw a spaceship and time stopped and she was, you know, abducted and probed. How could you possibly consider that more reliable than my aunt? Right. I mean, well, this is something that I appreciate you guys, you know, covering all this. And I mean, I, I listen to the show. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, there, you know, if, if there is a, a God, okay, he's going to, He's going to do what he can't. Like, there's got to be a way for us to be able to detect him. Uh, let me leave. I, I let, wish let, that were the case. Let me leave you with this. If there is okay. a benevolent God, he will already know what it takes. I'm borrowing from one of your lines. He'll already know what it takes to, to prove himself to you. He won't be a okay. mystery. He won't be a puzzle you have to solve. He won't be a gauntlet you have to run through. A genuinely loving, benevolent, caring deity won't make it, uh, a Rubik's cube that you have to somehow figure out. You know, parents don't don't put their messages of love and protection to their earthbound children in code. You know, they express it in ways that the child can understand. If a benevolent God existed, I believe this would have already happened. And if a, that God is not benevolent and does not care about us, uh, I don't know that I care about that God at all. I mean, hey, yeah, there, there may be a God that exists, but if, you know, if, if he's a dick, um, I'll believe he exists. I just don't want anything to do with him. I, but the, but the bigger issue here is not about the character of God. It's about recognizing the assumptions that we make and how they color our ability to investigate the claims. And, and you, it seems either through what you were taught as a kid or what you desired or what you learned as you explored, 
came up with some notion of God and now seem to be trying to find the evidence and lead it towards that conclusion. Um, yeah, I and mean, I, I would just you you want it to be true. You do you do want it to be true. You know what I mean? Like because it's there. Know, there are things I, that I, I wish know. were so. Like I wish um, I wish we didn't have to die. I wish that, that there wasn't illness. I wish that there wasn't poverty. I wish that people weren't as cruel as they can be. I wish I could see people I've lost in this world in a life 2.0 somewhere, you know, where there was no pain and we could be together. But I don't actually wish for God. And and to reference Hitchens again, there's a great quote from him, which I'm not going to get right, but about how how strange and perverted it would be if there's a, a God that's up there watching and monitoring everything and like taking notes on what you, like Santa Claus and, you know, knows whether you've been bad or good and he's going to fuck you up later if you don't, you know, do these things or he sits around and watches you masturbate. Hey, you're welcome. Uh, but Well, I know, but then, then you think about all that and, I mean, there's a part of us that I think, to be honest with you, I mean, it's kind of taking a step here, but I'm saying I think these are things that God implanted in us is that that um desire for justice so you think about people who you know mistreat others or why why would i need a god to implant why would i need a god to implant a desire for justice don't i just have to be somebody who doesn't want to be mistreated isn't that enough to have a foundation to desire justice and is it possible is it possible that we as as fragile frail temporary human beings some of us find comfort in constructing the method for coping, saying that there is a designer, there is a master plan, there is a heaven, there is a reunion with those we loved, there is a reason for everything that happens, tragic or otherwise. There's a comfort in that. Can you see that maybe human beings might have constructed those ideas as a coping mechanism, but they're still human ideas? No, I, I, I've already explored all that. Like, it, it can... You know, if you think about it, and it can make, you know, that makes sense that, you know, because you want these horrible people to pay the price and, you know, like Hitler, Stalin, you know, what better place for them than to be, you know, in hell, you know what I mean? So it's like... Yeah, except that, it, it sound, it, except it that according to those like, same religions that want that kind of justice, that's where I'm going to. You want me to go to hell? Do I deserve it? <laughs> Well, I mean, that's a, that's a completely separate thing. But, no, it's not. Well, of course, I don't want anybody, you know, to burn. You do, know, do Catholic? Or, do, do you think it, it seems it seems pretty extreme, you know? Yeah, but I mean, this was about whether or not it's deserved. But so, do you think Catholics go to heaven? Do I think Catholics go to heaven? Uh, you know what? The way I look at it is, I'm not the judge of the heart. Okay, but so, I mean, you're not excluding it as a possibility, though. No, Hitler was Catholic. I mean, I think anybody is anybody is Hitler was Catholic to go. Right. Maybe he's in heaven. Maybe you should come party with the rest of us. I'm, I, mean, I, I that, guess that's a joke. I, I'm, I was like, I, good luck. That, that You're going to be n- quote mine. That is not an argument for or against that, the notion yeah. of God. That was that was a glib little thing. <laughs> right. uh, mo- mostly, I, I just want right. to I just want to encourage you to, you know, to. Remember that Hitch quote, it's called faith because it's not knowledge. Okay. And use that as a framework as you approach not just religious issues, but others, and see if there might be mm-hmm. greater satisfaction in pursuing knowledge over mere belief. Right. Okay. Okay. I, I appreciate your okay, time, guys. Chris. And, you, you know, keep exploring. Yeah. Call us back if you, and definitely call us back if you find, like, solid evidence and non-faith-based reasons to believe something. Um, 
because that's okay. one of the reasons we're we're not just doing the show because we're right and you're wrong and rah rah rah. Uh, right. I, I was, you know, I I continue to study these things and care about it. Am I am I think I'm ever going to actually be convinced there's a God? No, but that's a statistical likelihood based on you know the past that you know we've been waiting and waiting right. and waiting and waiting for evidence, and the best things we ever get. Are, are the types of things that you're referencing, where somebody has to take a leap of faith, and I, I begin with this notion of God and a desire for justice, and it just feels so much better if this is true, and it also seems to give an explanation for things that I don't know, and that's comforting because the anxiety of not knowing is is terrifying for humans. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's something I'll, I'm going to continue seeking, you know, it's, Good. Um, it's a journey. But but with you guys with you guys being in that position of I'm not convinced that there's no that, that God exists. You you are saying basically there is no God. Or, or I okay. Guess, so uh, if I say I'm not process, convinced, right? No, no. If I say I'm not convinced, you're guilty. Does that mean I, I'm saying you're innocent? If you're saying you're convinced, if I'm I say if somebody guilty. accuses you of something and I say I'm not convinced that Chris is guilty, am I in any way declaring you innocent? I would say, yes, you are. You are mistaken, sir. <laughs> Am I? Yes. Well, saying, no, saying that you are innocent is an, is gonna, no, saying I'm not, say, hey, you're, I don't, Chris, go ahead, go ahead. Saying I'm not convinced you did this is completely uh-huh. separate from whether or not I am convinced that you did it or didn't do it. So you're kind of on the fence. So it's in between. Is that kind of, I, I may that. not be convinced of either possibility because there hasn't been sufficient evidence. But if I, I'm just talking about the, the statement. If I say I am not convinced that Chris did that crime, that is not identical to I am convinced that Chris did not do that crime. Do you see the distinction between them? Yeah, I can see it. So that, but, that's it. Try not to try, try not to expand it beyond. The, I, I know that it's not everybody thinks in these terms, and I am definitely. Uh, pedantic and persnickety and analytical. Um, analytic, exactly. You but it, but it helps it. because I do care about believing as many true things and as few false things as possible. And you have to have both of those components because if you want to believe as many true things as possible, you believe everything. And if you want to believe as few false things right. as possible, you believe nothing. But neither of those are good solutions. So what you're looking for is to get your internal model of reality to match reality as best as it can. And that means we need good methods to distinguish between what's real and what's not real. Faith is not that method any more than flipping a coin or making an assumption. And But there are good methods out there. The, the scientific methods that we've developed, uh, skepticism, critical thinking, this evaluation of evidence, logical arguments, understanding logical fallacies, those are all there to keep us from being more wrong because that's where the danger lies. Right. I see. Okay. Well, I mean, and I have, you know, looked into a lot of those uh, logical, you know, fallacy arguments and all that since I've started listening to you guys, like the argument for from ignorance and all that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm getting more familiar with them. But, hey, guys, I, I appreciate you taking my call, and I'll, I'll definitely give you a call back. So I'd appreciate that, Chris. I really would. Thank Very you. Very much. Yeah. Uh, we've got, like, three more calls we're going to get to. We're, we're definitely going to run over. Uh by the way, a couple things. Uh, we're here at the Atheist Community of Austin's Free Thought Library, a mecca for atheists, if you will, uh, where people come from all around the world because Austin, first of all, just kicks ass. And so does the community. The building's open seven days a week. There's almost always something going on. If 
you don't have a community in your area, not only can you start one, which is always a good idea, and there are plenty of resources for that, both at the national level and at the state level. American Atheist has representatives and state directors and things like that. But if you find yourself uh, without anything else to do, you know, you can come down and visit. If you really like it here, you can move here. But the important thing is that after the show's over, there will be food back there uh, for all the people who came down to, to see Seth today. Uh, and any atheist or atheist-friendly person is welcome to join us. And just in case we run up a wall uh, or run up against a wall as we close in on time, I wanted to point out uh, for the umpteenth time that there are people on the other side of this wall. Let me push this out of the way real quick. I'll try and slide that over. And you may be able to see them, assuming Mark hasn't fallen asleep as I drone on. Uh, we are incredibly grateful to the people behind the scenes who make all this happen. I think our monitor in here is definitely not showing what's being broadcast because we didn't see, we don't see the lower third. We don't see the titles. Screw it. I'll assume they showed themselves. Uh, and also a huge thank you to our various volunteers, whether they be on uh, social media applications or doing work around the building. We're going through a building beautification project. We've painted some stuff. We've got a shed out there. The, the guys were out there working on the 4th of July uh, putting a loft in the shed. And we just have like one of the, the most awesome communities of people here that are getting things done. If you don't have one in your area, build it. If you can't build one in your area, move here. Uh, all those people who are like, don't move to Austin, don't move to Austin, fuck them. Move to Austin. <laughs> I want as many godless, heathen, uh, strange people here as I can. You got a little microcosm here in Texas with Austin. It's like this little sort of pod of blue. It's the weed. Is that it? And it's because all because of Willie. I'm just like— Thank you, Willie. Thank you, Willie. Everywhere else in Texas, it seems, it's just, you know, straight up God and country, you know, you know kind of stuff. And you come here, and it's a lot more progressive. There's a lot more—there's a lot of stuff to do. I mean, you know, we love Austin. It's pretty amazing, so. Yeah, I joke that the only reason we let the governor live here is because this is where they built the house. Uh, otherwise, yeah. All right, we got a few more calls to get through. Uh, Luke in Mississippi, you are on with Seth Andrews. Uh, was that me? Yes. Are you Luke in Mississippi? Uh, yeah, I didn't hear my name, but I heard a beep. <laughs> Hi. How you doing? Hi. Can you hear me okay? We can hear you fine. Great. Matt, it's great to hear you speak to you in person. Um, he really is legendary, I, uh, I know. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And, and you too, Seth. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it because somebody showed up the other day and, and I was so excited that Seth was coming down. I was sitting on the back porch and everything and, and uh, they they were fairly new to the movement, but they'd seen the show and they wanted to stop by the building. And I was like, it's going to be so awesome on Sunday if you've got free time. Seth Andrews is going to be here. And she said, who's that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Welcome to my world. <laughs> but we were at a, a restaurant in um, Cincinnati, was it? I'm trying to remember. Mm-hmm. Somebody came up, one of the wait staff was a listener and they looked at you like, Oh, and who's this? And it was beautiful. Oh, it, <laughs> it's just, we're sitting right next to each other. <laughs> Seth's trying to order, yeah. order his food, and I'm doing a magic trick. Yeah. And the guy's like, oh, my gosh, are you Seth Andrews the, so, awesome. from The Thinking Atheist? And you're like, yeah. And then he just looks at me, and he goes, oh, you do some magic. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I wish I had. Forgive, forgive the digression. I'm sorry, what was your yeah. question? Yeah, screw, what, screw what our you want to talk about? Yeah. Talk to us. Uh, that's fine. Um, yeah, I, well, I'm kind of a new atheist, I guess. Um, I uh, was raised as a, a Methodist evangelical son and uh, was pretty gung-ho in the church and in my teens, um, born-again Christian and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, in my early 20s, I started calling myself an agnostic, and it wasn't 
until pretty recently that I decided uh, that I was an atheist. I, I actually sent you a letter last week. I don't know if you ever saw it, but I sent it to the show. Um, Justin responded to it, but I kind of described what I'd gone through. But uh, Yeah, special thanks to Justin and the people who are answering the email because we get more email than we can respond to. And while I've been answering more this week, uh, I'm eternally grateful to Justin for answering all the ones that none of us are going to get to. So I'm glad you did get a response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks to him. Um but yeah, I, I don't know. It would have been funnier if you would have said, yeah, no thanks to you. But <laughs> pick on me. I, I can take it. <laughs> um, so uh, I told I told whoever uh, answered my call uh, mm-hmm. that this is about guilt, but I don't know if that's a good term for it. I guess what I'm calling about is uh, sort of a, <clears throat> inbred, ingrained, uh, inbred, that's not the right word. In, in, ingrained. In Mississippi? Uh, sure. Uh, asshole. Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Annie you are my new favorite caller, Luke. All right, wait, let's get serious because you're, you're talking about a serious issue with grief and I don't, I don't want to make light of that, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, it, it's more about um, kind of a loss of confidence when challenging or being challenged by people of faith that, and I explained in my letter that I suffered from anxiety and depression. And I don't know, I, you know, my dad was a kind of abusive person. And, uh, so when I get into a situation where I'm, I'm talking to people of faith that, uh, are really, um, aggressive and, or just not so aggressive, but, uh, have more ready answers than I have, I lose uh, confidence and get shaken up and I can't, I can't even form sentences sometimes. <laughs> so uh, I'm wondering if, if you've ever experienced that, if you, if you had a period where you struggled with um, responding rationally or even uh, intelligibly <laughs> to people that uh, kind of bowled you over from, from their religion point of view. Let me, let me take a quick swing at this from a slightly different perspective. There is a loss of confidence, and there should be. Because one of the things that re- religions instill in people is an overabundance of confidence. They are far more confident that they have the right answer than they should be, given the evidence behind that. And so once you lose that, what's actually happened is that your confidence level has been lowered to a more appropriate one. And it feels like Oh my gosh, I'm more floundering. I'm, I'm less confident in this. I'm less confident. And, and the less confident that you are in the answer, the less confident you become in yourself. And it's because it's been instilled in you that I don't know is a bad thing when actually I don't know is the best answer. And it's almost always, or it's quite frequently the right one. And in, until you can learn to say, I don't know and be comfortable with your lack of confidence, I don't know how you could possibly get to the right answer. So don't let a lowering of confidence that may be taking it to a more appropriate level be viewed yeah. as an insufficient or an unwarranted level of confidence. If I can jump in, can I ask you about your engagements? First of all, let me start by saying I'm so sorry for the abuse that happened to you. Yeah. And we all understand. We, you know, we understand uh, th- the damage that is done. And it is, you know, one of those things that's a journey you're taking on your terms. 
but it has obviously resulted or at least informs some real challenges when it, with engaging religious people. But what I want to know is about the nature of the engagement. Are you an atheist who feels like he needs to go out and be an activist, and so you are sort of jumping into conversations with religious people? Or is it happening in the reverse where they're pushing their religion on you and you're trying to respond to something else? Paint that picture for me. It's more the former. I mean, I feel like uh, I was indoctrinated and brainwashed and abused, and I was, I am sick of it. Um, so I'm trying to put myself out there as, a, I don't know, a shield for others, I guess. Well, uh, you and I probably walk some of the same steps in our emotional journey out of the faith. Yeah. When I. When I finally admitted to myself I was an atheist and realized I'd been living a lie for decades of my life and that I would probably pay a familial consequence, I might lose friends, my employers were religious, are they going to find a reason to fire me, will I be ostracized, will there be other consequences I haven't even thought of, What's what? who am I, what's my identity, and then to hear the responses and defenses of religious people that were so nonsensical. Now that you see them without rose-colored God glasses, you realize this is just crazy. Then you become even more frustrated and you want to go out and change minds and tell everybody what you're thinking and, and you want to go do something about it. That's where you're at. You just feel like, damn it, I've wasted so much time and there's so many lies in play and I want to go and I, counter them. Is that where you're at? Exactly. Okay. Well, I want to. You are I us. really appreciate that answer, Matt, because uh, no, that was uh, Seth. That, it, it, well, no, no, I was referring back to your answer, oh, actually, yeah. Matt, because uh, you said something about a lowering of confidence being a good thing when your confidence was too high to begin with. Yeah, <laughs> and I think I want to draw you back, if I may, into making this this part of your journey more about you. I mean, you can be as out and proud and engaged as you want. But this is, this is a tenuous time to be trying to, to go out and have counter apologetics conversations with religious people that are likely not going to engage. You're probably, and don't let me put words in your mouth, but you've probably still keyed up. It's a hot button. It's a sensitive nerve. You've got a dog in this fight. And, you know, I'd like to draw you back into not focusing as much on the religious people in your circle as on you, who who am I? I live well, in Mississippi. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Who, but but when it comes to you and your identity, who am I? What what are my values? What other things right. might I have been taught when I was a religious person that are wrong? What's my journey into you know science education and philosophy and even politics and the culture at large? What does that look like, and how does that change without the religious backdrop? And you can spend that time focused on on you. I would encourage you to try to dial down the verve of wanting to go out and change the world. I think let's let's figure you out. And when that dust settles and it doesn't happen overnight and you're more in a place at peace in your own heart and uh, that, you know, that emotive portion of the, the equation is sort of calmed down, then I think you're in a better position to perhaps go out. Uh, you know, th that's a, those are turbulent waters. And I think, you know, I, I'd encourage you to focus on you first, man. You got to take care of yourself. The other thing is you don't owe anybody an explanation for who you are or what you think. You don't owe anybody an argument if they disagree with you. Um, and I would, you know, I, I'm happy 
that you're in the spot where we both have been, where you are eager to engage in these things. I'm also happy that you recognize that you might not yet be equipped for those things and that your, you know, your confidence level isn't where it should be. The conversations get easier over time. Uh, you build a skill set. Uh, go back and watch like the first episode or two of this show that I did. And, you know, it's hopefully it's improved. If not, I really fucked some stuff up in the last 15 years. But don't judge yourself by somebody else's standard. You know, oh, I don't know as much about this, so I can't talk about it. The thing is, you're not the one who's selling something. You're the one who's questioning something. The, right. the individuals you're talking to have the burden of proof. Uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you saying, yeah, but how do you know that? Or even pausing and sticking a pen in the conversation and saying, let me think about that and get back to you. And then, of course, you should do that uh, because we should tr try to do what we say we're going to do. But if you find that you're in over your head and the confidence thing is starting to nag at you, um, take a break. Continue doing what Seth suggested, which is figuring out who you are now that you don't have all, all of the rest of that. Uh, find some people. I know you're in Mississippi. Uh, find some people, you know, that you can talk to that are in similar circumstances. You're not remotely alone. And it's a good time to point out that there's the recoveringfromreligion.org org uh, site, which is Daryl Ray was right. here last week. If you didn't see that, you can go back and watch I it. Thought, yeah. There's also there are free thought groups. I, I know you can find night. online in Mississippi. Yeah. So, oh, you talked to them last night. Well, I, I didn't get through, I, but it was late. So keep trying. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. amazing. Uh, you know, when I came out of the faith, I remember I felt compelled, like I have to say something, and so like I wrote letters of counter apologetics arguments, and I would engage wherever I went, and it went nowhere, and it just it drove me nuts. Why aren't they listening? I have all this great data. It was so obvious when it was obvious to me. What the hell's wrong with everybody else? Yeah. I, and I, I don't remember changing one mind. They only doubled down. I was frustrated. And it was only when I finally calmed myself and realized, you know, you're coming out of decades of indoctrination. You need to sort of figure out who you are. And, and once I calmed myself, I also regained my compassion for the religious people who taught me. Because yeah. they're victims of bad ideas. And so instead of going to war against them, I was literally trying to engage to help them. Yeah, there's that point where a lot of people get to where it's like, how could you have lied to me? And then a little later on, you're reflecting, you're like, oh, they weren't lying. They thought it was true. They thought it was true. They were doing what they thought was best. Uh, maybe I'll be able to help them. Maybe I won't, you know, but at least it gets. One of the best things you can do is to. Be you at the volume you choose because you never know who is watching. And that doesn't mean you're scratching on people's doors with counter-apologetics arguments. It means that you're secular, loud and proud on your own terms. And you'd be amazed at the people in your circle, even in Mississippi, who might be going through their own journeys, their own doubts, their own questions, and they see someone else proudly living uh, a superstition-free life, they might come to you and say, you know, I've had a few questions. Can we have coffee? You never know. <laughs> on that note, Luke, we, we got a couple calls we got to get to before we run up against time, but we really appreciate it. And by all means, call us back. Use the resources that we talked about. Uh, you might also hit up the ACA Discord, tinyurl.com slash the ACA Discord. I've been told there are a bunch of people on there who are uh, happy to talk, uh, recovering for religion as a number of sources. If you find that it's getting to you too much, there's a secular therapy project uh, and countless other things like that. But, you know, uh, reach out. Let us know that things are going better. And maybe you're the guy who starts the atheist community of Mississippi. Yeah, I might. Actually, I wanted to uh, pick your brain about that at some point. <laughs> 
Um, thank drop, you, guys. Drop but me an email, or great. if you've got me on Facebook, Facebook, uh, Facebook message is probably the quickest thing to get to me, but uh, I appreciate well, I it. I you a friend request. I haven't gotten a response. Okay. Well, we'll send an email with your name, <laughs> and then I will go respond, but I hit the limit on Facebook years ago, and there's space now because I, I piss people off enough to where some of them have gone away, uh, but I'll be happy to add you. Thank you, uh, Luke, very you much. Thanks. Thanks. Whoop. When you say thanks twice and I hang up in the middle of the second one, it's like, oh. Yeah, whatever. All right, we've got uh, Michelle in California. Thank you for waiting. You're on with Seth and Matt. But Hi. Seth, mostly. Uh, how's it going? Good. Thank you. Um, so, I actually, I was a little embarrassed. I got sort of emotional when I was talking to the screener um, because, you know, the religion is... I was raised in it, and it's deep, deep within the psyche of, you know, more than half the country, <laughs> at least, right? And um, yeah. so the the problem that I'm encountering right now is um, a lot of my family is involved with my atheism. They know what's, what's going on, but um, one person that's deeply important to me is my grandma, who's 97 years old, or 90, about to be 97 this, later this month. And uh, she instilled in us. She helped raise us, me and my sister, very um, intimately. And faith and education were kind of the pillars that she raised us on. And I have completely um, pursued education. And um, that sort of undermined my my religious belief. And uh, one of the last conversations I was having with her on the phone was about um, how I don't really uh, find spiritual fulfillment in church anymore. And, um, but she kind of reiterated to me, just wanted to hit home that I know what I'm supposed to believe. And I know the important parts to believe. And it's just, it's so hard to, I, I just wonder if it's worth it to even hash out the details with her of why I'm so, why I feel so differently than how I was raised to believe. That's the question I was going to ask. And that's this. Uh, I know what my reasons are for doing this show and why I do debates and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. What is your reason for the need to have your grandmother know? Is it acceptance? Is it to um, I think convince I her like that you're right? For her, not, not necessarily that I'm right, but just um, I think I would like to know that she's proud of me despite my deviance from, you know, the, the way of thinking that I was brought up in. Uh, but I, I don't. I don't even know if that's possible. I don't know. I, I don't. Where's it possible? You know, I don't know. I I think you might be putting on yourself the responsibility of someone else being proud of you, and that's really going to be up to her. Now, I don't ever. If you if you came out to your grand if you came out to your grandmother and she wasn't proud of you, if she decided to cut you off, um, you have to consider how you would feel about that, and compare that to if I never. God, you know, if I if I even pretended or kept lying, um, yeah. you know, I'm pretty sure you know she loves you and was proud of you, irrespective of this one aspect of your life. So why does that have to be the the cornerstone of of everything? I mean, I'm I'm an atheist. I'm as as atheist as you're probably going to find, and yet it is not even remotely the most important thing in my life. Well, and I don't know that not telling her the details of your rejection of. A theistic God is even dishonesty. I think you're just choosing who you share that part of yourself with and deciding not to burden a 97-year-old woman who likely will not change her mind and might be hugely grieved if she believes in hell. I don't know. By the way, we're not telling you not to. We're just asking the questions that we know you've already it's asked. It's a situational sort of thing. Like, you know. So, so where are you on this now? Um, 
I've been writing letters uh, that seem to be pretty helpful, more more just for me than for anything else. Um, as far as like the gratitude that I have for her, the role that she played in my life is so much bigger than religion. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's you know um, a sort of a loss of that feeling of closeness. That what you have done is a tremendous gift. You put into writing how she changed your life, how she's made you better. What an amazing and humanistic gift you have given this person. I think there are a ton of opportunities for you to to maintain and cultivate human connection without the God questions ever really getting in the way. If they do, you can sort of tell her as much as you want. But if it's really connection and touch and moments while you still have her being together, expressing love and in, in whatever way you're comfortable expressing love, I, I think those are the moments to focus on. And the God question, you know, I, I think... That wouldn't be, in my own situation anyway, that wouldn't be where I spend my time. I, I think I'd make it about the person. Well, and, and generally I do try. And, and as a family, we do very much engage in the presence of each other. That's like, our, that's where we get our value. But God and, and religion has been such a cornerstone. It's like the key um, thing that's kept our family together for you know, whatever, but yeah. uh, my, my life is, is clearly different from your life. Um, I have no grandparents left. My, 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 my last grandmother died uh, a month or so ago. She was 91. Um, she was my favorite grandmother, the one I was closest with. We had loads of fun. Actually, I've talked before when I was up there, I visited her at Christmas and, uh, and she, she was, you know, saying things and, you know, oh, getting old as hell. And I'm like, well, you've been saying that since you were my age. And, oh, I hope nobody has to, I hope none of you ends have to live this long. And then 10 minutes later, yeah, yeah, she and I over sitting there playing cards and laughing. And I was like, grandma, if I live long enough to play cards at 91 and laugh, it'll be worth it. <laughs> and for the longest time after I started, after I was out and doing the show, I didn't want to tell the, my extended family at all. Um, I wasn't as worried about the the grandmother I'm talking about now. I was more concerned about what the other one would think of me because uh, that family was a little more strictly religious than than loosely, and um, and it kind of drove a wedge between me and that would be my my dad's mother, uh, where we just didn't interact. And I kind of I, I do I do regret that a little bit because I'd rather I mean I know she knew because I'm evidently the gossip target of the family, so everybody knew. But, you know, being the black sheep, I know she knew, but I never had any conversation with her to find out what she thought. I, I know what her religious views were, but I don't have the slightest clue what she thought of the fact that her grandson was no longer, not only not associated with her religion, but actively opposing it. And yet my other grandmother, the one who just recently died, she knew, she sent me a letter, and it was about, you know, how and why she's convinced there's a God, but that she loved me no matter what. And that while she hoped that I would share her belief, it wasn't going to affect us. And I, she was my favorite for a lot of reasons, but that was a big one. The fact that the thing that I was most worried about, especially when I just found my way out, was, oh my gosh, I'm going to be alienated from everybody in my family. I had to come to grips with the fact that I had to be fine with that. That if people cut me out of their life because they couldn't accept who I was, it was more important for me to be who I was. 
I also had to come to grips with the fact that it's not my job or responsibility to change everybody's mind. And one thing that probably didn't hit me as hard until fairly recently is it's not my job to have someone else accept me. Your family, when you act like family, to borrow a phrase from Isn't that the, people. Like, it, that's, that's the evolutionary imperative of family is to be accepted. It's the thing that we have, but I, I prefer the family that I make and the family that accepts me for me and the people who I find that I share interests and passions with and, and care about. Um, if there's somebody who's blood related to me, who's a toxic influence on my life or can't, can't accept me for who I am, as sad as it is to lose that person, my life is, is almost certainly better off without them. Uh, it's the reason I had, this goes to, to forgiveness, Lucy, too. I've, I've used this several times. And I had somebody tell me that I didn't understand cr- cr- uh, forgiveness from a Christian perspective. And I was like, well, I, I was a Christian. I think I understand it. But what's more important is I think I understand it better now. I forgive people not for their benefit, but for mine, because I don't need to carry that baggage around and let what they did continue right. to affect my life. And, and it ties to this notion of acceptance, too. If my grandmother, if I told her and she was like, I don't ever want to have anything to do with you, that would have crushed me like a bug. But I would have gotten over it and I would have forgiven her because she's just as much a a victim of indoctrination and bad thinking as I was. And I know that the Mm -hmm. thing that is keeping her from accepting me has nothing to do with me and has nothing to do with us. It's something that was done to her and I could never hold that against her. I'm fortunate that that's not at all what happened. I hope that if you have that conversation, I hope that you get that outcome or even better. It's just important that you realize it may not be as necessary as you, as you think to have that conversation. Ultimately, you're the one who's going to have to decide what's more important to you. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And I, I, the more that I work on these letters, the more that I think that this is going to be kind of like the outlet that I need. Um, whether or not I ever send it to her. Oh my God, publish you know, regardless, them. It, it, publish them. If they don't make it to your grandmother, publish them. You will help so many other people. And and you can include in there whether or not you shared with them and what the results were. And you will be aiding some, because you are not remotely alone. The number of people that we deal with who have been ostracized from families, who have had to deal with, with all this stuff, it's it's constant. You've, you've heard the calls before. We get emails all the time. There are entire organizations devoted to, to helping people who are in that situation where somebody's religious well, view has driven it, a wedge. When I, when I think about, you know, worst case scenario, I think it's, you know, I'm an idiot for thinking that she would ever even, you know, reject me or anything like that. So... Uh, I don't think you're an yeah, idiot, but I understand really- how you feel because I felt the same way. The second the second she told me that, you know, that wasn't an issue and, and the, I was like, why did I ever think it could have been? Yeah. And the, and the only reason yeah, I course. did is because I'd seen it happen to other people, but they're not me and their grandma wasn't as fucking awesome as mine was. <laughs> My grandmother was fucking awesome. And I think yours probably so is, is too. Yeah. yeah, she really is. I appreciate the call, Michelle. We are way over time. Thank you, Michelle. Please feel free to reach out to us again and let us know what happened. And my God, publish those letters. Thank you. Thank you. Two hours, my friend. I told you, we sit in the same room and the clock just goes. It feels like we just got started. But I'm sure somebody out there is like, God, will these guys shut up so I can eat? your blathering pile. So there's food and stuff that's going to be happening out back. Thank you to everybody who tuned in today, watched live. Thank you to the people who made the special trip down to Austin. I know Seth doesn't get down here very often. We are internally grateful for your, your support and love and 
participation and all no, this I'm stuff. I'm a huge fan, and it's an honor to be involved again. Thanks for the invite. And I'll thank the people on the other side again. You get to see them twice. I don't care what you think of them. They're awesome, almost as awesome as my grandma, but not quite. I will not be here next week. I'll be at a magic convention in Scottsdale, the International Brotherhood of Magicians. Somebody will be here to run the show and have fun. Thank you all for your support. See you next time. Right now at T-Mobile, get an awesome iPhone XR on us when you bring your family over and trade in your old device. Because whether you have mom, dad, or a friend on your mind, it's a gift so bold and brilliant, you'll want to keep it for yourself. And most importantly, it's on us in six vibrant colors. Plus, with unlimited everything from T-Mobile, the awesome iPhone XR will have everyone snapping, streaming, and sharing to their heart's content all year long. But don't wait. It's only for a limited time. So visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE and get iPhone XR on us. If congested, customers using more than 50 gigs per month may notice reduced speeds due to prioritization. Video at 480p via 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers plus tax. Qualifying trade-in, port-in, service, and finance agreement required. Contact us before canceling our credit stop and remaining balance due. 64 gigs, zero down, plus 3125 per month for 24 months. Pre-credit price, 749.99, 0% APR. One offer per account.